What's happening, 1088 Nation? Your host here, Ellis Maxwell. Hell yeah, it sounds good, don't it? Is it cool I reference y'all as my 1088 Nation? It's better than, hello folks. <laughs> Anyways, wow, y'all are amazing. I'm very humbled to the number of listeners and the downloads. It's super rad. I promise I can only get better. If I get worse, make sure you let me know. But hang in there with me. At the end of the day, I just want to deliver to you the best product. So thank you for the support. Please continue sharing the links, reposting on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And don't forget to visit ellismaxwell.com for the backstories and additional information on each of these episodes as we move forward. I hope you all enjoyed the content last week. John is a badass. So grateful that he was willing to chat with us. Y'all don't understand how difficult it is for these lawmen and lawwomen to discuss uh, some of these events and incidents that they were involved in. You just do not know. These incidents and experiences and what they see and what they experienced... Uh, it's crazy, man. And it just, it lives with them forever. They don't ever go away. All right. So keep that in mind when you're hearing these stories, right? And keep that in mind when you see these, uh, these folks working. Anyways, I'm looking to redeem myself from last week's episode. I didn't do very well. I'm sorry. I did a horrible job presenting and kind of mapping out that podcast. I really considered deleting it, starting it over, but I don't want to have to go down the road and do that story again with John. So I just sucked it up, man. But anyways, um, your downloads, oh my God, your downloads freaking are awesome. Uh, the amount of listeners there are, super rad. The comments, uh, the support, it fuels me. It fuels me like a raging, killing whale, man, just chasing down a seal in our filthy oceans, just relentless. It keeps me motivated, you know, and I just want to I just want to deliver better product for y'all. So thank you. And, you know, keep our oceans clean, man. Shit. <laughs> Anyways, love y'all. 1088 Nation fucking rocks. Oh, wait, another thing. No more freaking mid-roll ads. Bob. Man, I don't know why I did that. I'm so sorry that I threw an ad in the middle of that podcast. Um, That's one thing that I've recently learned is I do not like ads in the middle of a podcast. When I'm listening to a podcast, I'm hearing this story, I'm hearing this discussion, and this conversation, the last thing I want to do is be interrupted with an ad. So, sorry about that. I've pulled it out. I won't be printing no mid... I won't... Blah, blah, blah. I won't be adding any mid-roll ads, all right? So if I do, uh, we'll, we'll just dress that down the road. But for now, no, I don't need ads. You don't need ads. Uh, you don't want that interruption. And we just want some entertainment for our beautiful minds, right? At the end of the day. So feel free to message me with any topics you'd like to hear about, and we'll try and address them. Or have a, even a podcast on the topic if it's... We'll take up a whole podcast. I'm down for that. Uh, speaking of podcasts, as the cold podcast uh, comes to an end, uh, we'll visit additional stories about the Susan Powell case as needed here and there. Um, <laughs> clearly, it's uh, easy for me to discuss that. I lived it for a minute. Um, so if, uh, you know, if, if there's something you want to talk about or want to hear about, Again, message me. Um, there has been some discussion going around about a tattoo. Some dude getting a tattoo. I've heard on some uh, social media sites and, and comment threads. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we discuss a tattoo that some dude got. Um, it's not all that bad. The tattoo was acquired long before Josh did his horrific, horrible, evil act. So... Tattoo wasn't acquired after that. That would be really fucked up. Anyways, uh, that's that. In the meantime, 
1088 Nation, my goal is to present you with exceptional warriors, lawmen, law women with stories of incidents that they've been involved in while protecting our streets, neighborhoods, and business districts. All right, that's the plan. Keep me posted. Stay in touch. Let's get the show on the road, folks. The Ellis Maxwell 1088 Podcast Experience. And now my 1088 Nation, I'm going to deliver to you number three. Dan, what is up, brother? Not much. Good, good. Sounds good. You ready for this podcast? Yeah, I believe so. We'll see. <laughs> well, thanks for accepting my invite. Come on. Uh, y'all, Dan Hamilton and I have known each other for 20 years, right? Going on 21? Yes. <laughs> I met. I met Dan, I, I kind of chuckled because I did uh, my first episode, I talked about my first job going into uh, law enforcement and how they told me I had to shovel up dog shit out of dog kennels, I was pissed off, but back in 1998 is when I first met you, right? It was, oh, it was. well I was 97 and then February of 98 I was hired. Is that what it was, you was hired in 98? Yeah. Right on. So Dan was hired in 98. He was, uh, I was on the interview board uh, when we brought him on uh, for doing animal services. Uh, They decided that I wasn't doing well over there, so they needed to hire somebody, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, we've remained friends ever since, man. We've been close through the years, watch our kids growing up and spending time together and uh, and then talked him into, I don't know if I talked him into coming over to the police department, but eventually he came over to the police department. What year was it that you came over to the police department, man? 2003. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So came over to uh, the police department there and um, was working patrol. I was uh, 2003. I was over investigations. Anyway, you were at uh, school. You had just got schools right when I got hired. Yep. Yeah. Whenever my, my first my first assignment out of patrol was uh, uh, SRO over at Granger High School. Awesome gig. Um, anyways, another note, uh, everybody. Uh, Dan is the one that came to me just about two years ago, about a year and a half ago, with this whole concept of doing and hosting a podcast. And having law enforcement personnel on his guests and talking about incidences they were involved in and how it had an impact on them. And so it was Dan's idea that he called me up one day and God, it was in the winter with this idea. And we both talked about it for a couple of hours, didn't we? Yeah, it was probably at least a couple hours. I mean, we were out there at your parents' or yeah. your farm and uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a minute. Yeah, I remember. I, I shared this on the podcast too. I had a Amazon cart about two thousand dollars worth of equipment. I was like, five. Oh, I don't know if I can <laughs> That's do right. it. You told me about that. In the meantime, I had created a logo and secured a website, and all just for it to sit there for two years. So, anyways, uh, let's let's get into this, man. Uh, so. Crazy story for you all. Uh, like Dan had just mentioned, I uh, I was over investigations. He was in patrol. But in 2008, I had just taken an assignment in May to major crimes where they handle all uh, the major crime stuff, like all deaths, all officer-involved shootings. Yeah, critical incidents, right? A fellow officer and I were at... Chili's eating lunch and it came out as a three beep which is a priority call obviously that gets everybody's attention further information came out saying um, he's got a hostage he's got a gun and we were right around the corner 
So our food just arrived, and we got up and left without eating, obviously, and went to the scene, and we approached in different directions, but he and I and another officer uh, approached against the building to be safe. There were several other officers on scene, and... As he exited the building, um, he did have the hostage around his arm around her neck, was his left arm around her neck with the gun to her head. And the second he saw us, he pointed at the, the weapon at us and fired one round. And we returned fire. Um, she was able to escape, actually, when he panicked she was able to get away so there was no civilian in danger at that time mm. wow so that three beep i actually have uh so for the for the citizens uh so three beep is what it is is uh comes over dispatch plays this three beep and i'll play it for you and uh, and it basically is what it is, is to capture all the officers' attention to listen to the details to follow. And usually they'll play that three beep um, when there's a critical incident or, you know, say there's a, a, an armed robbery in progress, like in this particular case, they'll three beep that and then follow up with that. Or an accident with bodily and anytime any person is yeah. armed is when that comes across. There you go. Yeah. So I'll, I'll play that three beat for these people and for the folks here for 1088 Nation so you can hear it. And that's what it is. It's and that three beat. That still catches my attention. Which is <laughs> I think it captures anybody. That's... It's been five years and I still would look up if that came across. Right. All right, so so he exits. This this guy exits the uh, jewelry store. With this hostage. He points the firearm at you towards you guys, and uh, he fires off around. You return fire. What happens after that? Well, what I'll tell you is is watching him. I yelled out "gun," and he points it, and there was another officer in front of me, um, and I could literally see that bullet hit he hit a, a a glass window and shattered it and all of a sudden it was nothing but I don't remember how many rounds I want to say 32 but I'm not um, accurate on that I'm sure that were returned how many did you fire do you know I fired six so was you shooting a handgun or a long gun? I was shooting a handgun, and mm -hmm. I was, again, I was behind another officer, so I had to get out from behind him before I returned fire. And he was already firing and backing up. He did an amazing job. Right. As far as that so you're oh. on your, So you're on your way to this call. As you're on your way to this call, what, what's going through your mind while you're on your way to this call? Do you remember? Absolutely. You, you think it's, uh, you know, going to be a, a regular call that um, you get several that are false. And that leads you to be complacent, which shouldn't happen in that line of work, obviously. Um, everything should be handled as your training comes across. That particular incident, we, I, I do believe all three of us were ready to handle it and uh it worked out in our favor i mean right. he he fired the first round before we could do anything because he still had the hostage so right. it uh it worked out that she was fortunately able to get away and left an open target for a suspect which is still a person but uh, you know, he chose his fate. Right. 
So do uh, do you remember experiencing tunnel vision or any of those symptoms that come into play when you're faced with a threat like that? Oh, absolutely. Like I said, I could see his firearm like it was in my face, but he was probably, I don't know the distance exactly, but 30 feet away. And I still think I saw that round come out of the gun. I'm not sure if I did. And um, I think that his gun stovepipe, and I believe that's why he wasn't able to get more rounds off. Stovepipe, yeah. Do you want to explain stovepipe? Well, you're, you're, yeah, you're you're exactly right. I mean, his gun malfunctioned, malfunctioned, malfunctioned. <laughs> Fuck. Anyways, his gun, his, gun, up. <laughs> his, his gun malfunctioned, absolutely. And and that what you're describing as stovepipe is what that is for the folks listening is uh after the weapon's fired, the casing of the uh of the bullet doesn't fully eject. So if that casing doesn't fully eject, then it doesn't automatically put another round in. So that was fortunate for everybody on scene that day that his weapon malfunctioned and uh he wasn't able to get off any more rounds or hurt well, anybody. At least for all the good guys. Right. Right. So, okay. So you experienced uh, those, uh, those symptoms where everything kind of slows down and gets up close and personal to uh, tunnel vision. <clears throat> after oh. the incident, after that all came to an end, um, you know, how, how did things play out for you after that? I mean, what, what, what happens next? So what's next is walking up to a guy you just literally took his life, which you're, even though you know, you know you're right, you still question, why did this have to happen? Right. And you're standing there and you hear the sirens because the whole world's coming to help as far as law enforcement. They, uh, that's all you hear in the, in the background is the echo of, of sirens and you're standing over him going, there's no, I mean, it was obvious there was no helping this person. And of course you're trained to want to help him if you can. So after that, you're just standing there and another officer walked up and, and said, well, let's put him in cuffs and, that went poorly due to a a a, a wound he had, he had sustained during the uh, the shooting, and um, then it you're whisked off and separated from the the three people that experienced it with you, and it is a a feeling like you are in. Uh, I don't even know how to say it. Like you're alone. Let's put it that way. Right. So being whisked away and uh, separated from everybody, um, just a just a sense of alone. A lot of time to sit there and think about what just transpired. Huh? Yes, but you know, I I was able to call my wife at the time and uh, have her come and comfort me and which was helpful and you do or everybody's I shouldn't say everybody um, command staff was able to come in and and tell you things like we won this time so that's all that matters Mm -hmm. it wasn't comforting when you hear that because I don't think anybody won in that situation right well, I mean, at the end of the day, the guy made a bad, bad decision to go in and commit an armed robbery and then exit with a hostage and point a gun at the cops and no cops got hurt and no, in, no citizens or employees of the jewelry store got hurt, just the bad guys. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a win for everybody, um, but dude made his, his choices and yep. um, there's consequences, right? I, I mean, I, you I, can't. That's my only solace is I believe he chose his fate. That's right. 
Um, but, you know, being whisked away and, and separated, I mean, that's all for a good reason, right? I mean, you understand. Uh, I mean, the, the, the ironic thing out of this whole thing is I was the one that ended up investigating it. And, you know, you're one of my really good friends, best friends, and you're involved in this shooting. Um, that made it challenging for me, um, you know, because at the end of the day, Officers that are involved in shootings are basically being investigated for committing a murder. And so they, you know, everything has to be investigated just like any other case. Exactly. And um, I'll tell you one of the hardest things I heard sitting in a room by myself was an attorney coming in saying you're being investigated for homicide. And that that really blows your mind when you know you did the right thing and I mean in the right you know it maybe it was the wrong place I don't know but it definitely was I was aghast when he said that to me right well yeah and I mean it rightfully so right we go through the police academy um you know, we, we go through all of these training courses throughout our career. We go through shooting courses and everything else. And we attend training classes and nothing. Actually, you know, I think about it. There was never any point in my career um, that, you know, I was told, hey, if you get involved in a shooting, you're going to be investigated for homicide if you kill somebody. Exactly. Right. You just that it never, ever comes up. And so now you're involved in an officer involved shooting, which is that's what we reference them or a critical incident. But realistically, at the end of the day, it's a homicide. If, if the bad guy dies, there's. And yeah. so your attorney says, hey, I'm here to represent you in this homicide. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not a bad guy. That's, bad guys yeah. commit homicides. Exactly. And and when you think you've done everything proper and then it comes back as, well, you're being investigated for homicide, that's mind-blowing. It, it takes you out of your skin to where you're going, oh, fuck, did I screw up? And you question everything you did leading up to that incident. Right, right. Um, well, let's talk about... Uh... So you, so you're sitting with your attorney. You've got your uh, wife at the time there with you, um, and uh, eventually you've got to be interviewed. Yeah, so it, it, talk to me about that. Talk to me about your feelings on on that, and you know what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what was going through your mind, and so the, at what point was it? It wasn't the same day. No. So the process was you get photographed, your car, your police car still at scene being, I don't know if it was being gone through. I'm not sure you're the investigator, but uh, my wife at the time drove me home. And all you do is look at the news because obviously it made news. You don't sleep because you're concerned even though you know in your mind it's justified you don't sleep you pace you do everything you can to try and get your mind off of it and it's just anxiety tenfold and I know there are thousands of officers in this valley alone that have gone through this and it brings a respect to the end to a point it is nobody could even imagine what uh, the weight it puts on your shoulders and knowing, you know, leaving the police department saying after they actually took my photos and saying, all right, you're good to go. But just again, remember, you're being investigated for homicide you can't talk about this you can't do anything and you have to hold that secret until or not secret it's not a secret but you can't talk to anyone even your best friend investigating it you can't vent 
the frustration. Yeah, that was that was uh, pretty tough. I, I mean, all of the officer involved shootings that I investigated over the course of my career, yours being my very first one. Um, so it was my first experience. It was very challenging. Um, I've always been one to kind of reach out and follow up and see what I could do, and and I couldn't I couldn't do that with you. I learned that early on. And I will say that all the brothers in blue did reach out and were very, very supportive. So let's go into, uh, <clears throat> so when you were doing the interview, um, you know, what was going through your mind there? How, how did you get through that? And how was that experience for you? Did it well, help you to be able to discuss the event for the first time? With, I mean, with the exception of your lawyer? Well, I can't say it helped me, but what, you know, they put you through, uh, you have to visit a psychiatrist and he, uh, wasn't very helpful. I'll have to say, I don't think he's any longer in practice, but he was involved with several officers getting hired. Um, and they, analyze everything in one visit and prescribe you know they they did for me anyway a medication uh anti-anxiety medication that didn't help me at all but i was told by the police department if i didn't take it i was going to not be covered if any other incidents happened so i did i followed I walked the line as far as that goes. Right. And then, yeah, the interview with the uh, district attorney's office went great, I thought. I believe you were in there. I don't know if you were. You were in there, weren't you? Oh, I'm sure I probably was, yeah. And, you know, I it, it went down verbatim just be, as far as I mean, time framing, you remember everything. Shutting your door in your car and walking up, you remember everything. So, Were there things that you didn't remember, do you think? Yes, there was one thing in particular, and I think you're the one that pointed it out to me, was a jewelry box that held the door open that had bullet holes in it. I didn't re- I never saw that box. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that goes back to your tunnel vision. Right, right. So you go, so you're involved in this incident, you have your interview, uh, you get cleared. How soon were you back to work? Approximately two weeks. Do you think that was enough time? Do you think that you should have had more, do you think people need more time off for two weeks? Do you think, what are your thoughts on that? I believe that. Uh, during those two weeks that you should be talking to somebody and not sitting around stewing is my word for that because that's what Mm -hmm. I did I sat and stewed and then you go back to work and you're back in that environment and you can't decompress that quickly without getting things off your chest to someone that's a third party that's not involved. Mm-hmm. Okay. How did uh, share with me, like, you know, how, how did this impact you and your career, you as an individual, your family? Um, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you would sit and watch the news. Obviously, that's not uh, a good thing to do. Um, and now with, you know, social media, me personally, if you're involved in a critical incident, I would recommend that one, you don't watch the news Two, you don't read any of the comments and three, uh, anything on social media, if it's, it has relates to that critical incident to avoid it, because all of those can be, uh, they can create a negative impact on you as an individual because you've got all these people that might be Monday morning quarterbacking the situation, right? So it gets you upset, gets you mad, uh, questions, 
you know, I mean, it's just a no go, like avoid it at all costs. Would you recommend the same thing? Um, I guess it depends on the situation. I'll be honest. I mean, there were people that were interviewed that, that I witnessed you know, or that I watched on the news, not witnessed, um, saying positive things about it. But at the same time, you always have that civilian that says, why couldn't they just shoot him in the knee? Or, you know what I mean? They don't have to take his life. Right. And, of course, that's not what we're, we're trained to do. We're trained to shoot center mass. So it's definitely a, uh, it weighs on you because you took someone's life, but at the same time, you're trying to figure out, you know, how this is going to be perceived. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It shouldn't, uh, somebody in that incident shouldn't just look at the polls, so to say, you know, like being elected or whatever. You should just sit back and let it play out opposed to being informed all the time of uh, of right. you know a public incident because you're not being advised of anything that is related to the incident personally as far as the department goes or anything yeah yeah the department they uh i mean as far as administration and the investigative team uh, you, you'll see them that day of, and then you don't see them until the interview. And then you don't see them again after that. You don't see them until you're cleared. And that's, that's right. Two weeks so that's hell. where they, <laughs> and that's where the importance is of peers reaching out and, uh, you know, reaching out to these guys that are involved in these shootings and, and checking up on the officers. And Well, and two weeks is, you know, two weeks them. was pretty quick because I think, my my incident was definitely, uh, you know, um, pretty obvious of what had to happen at the time. And there right. are several that aren't so easily defined. And so for those officers, right. I feel sorry for because yeah. two weeks was awful. We worked with an officer or two officers that were involved in something that took, oh, I think over a year. I'm not exactly sure how, how long it took but i can't even imagine i mean yeah and then for it to all be justified is ridiculous that it takes that long right. that's when you start questioning yourself and your decision making but it's again it's a split second decision and anybody that hasn't been in that situation doesn't know what uh literally a split second decision is right right so do you want to you want to talk about how how it impacted you um you know after the fact i mean going through the rest of your career your relationship i mean did you ever get over it i mean is it something i mean obviously you, you talked about it today which i you know very grateful thank you for sharing um, I'm sure it's not easy to talk about, um, but I'm a big believer that the more you talk about an incident that you're involved in, that you know is, is traumatic, that it helps. Yeah, no, it definitely affected my marriage and uh, the medication. Like I, I, I said, they prescribed ruined me for a while, um, but. It, I really didn't bring anything positive to my life. I'll say that. And I do believe that's a lot on how I reacted to it and how personal I thought it was opposed to just looking at it as a job I did. Right. <clears throat> And I believe every I was in, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sure. No, I was just saying I believe every officer that that's taken a call has that one call that 
they feel is personal, we get numb to society and their, you know, reliance on police work. But there is that one that stands out that affects right. them personally. And it doesn't have to be a shooting. It could be any other case you roll up on that affects your mind that you take personally. And without accepting it and seeking help, which I didn't do, it's going to weigh on you forever. Right. Yeah, well, I definitely agree with you on that. Do you think, I mean, going back, <clears throat> you were mentioning that two-week period of basically being idle and, and just in a in a holding pattern, waiting for administration and district attorney's office to, you know, make a ruling so you can come back to work. What, what do you, have you, I mean, you had the, you had that time to think about it and you've had since then to think about it. What are some, what's something different that the departments could do for these individuals that are on administrative leave for two weeks, six weeks, months, years? Um, do you think it would be appropriate to uh, connect them with a good legitimate psychologist that they could visit once a week and discuss the event and discuss how they're feeling? Uh, I mean, what, what options, what, what do you think they could do to, make that easier i i believe that guys and gals yeah, no they're still getting paid so they are still employed even though they can't um respond to calls or intervene in anything but at that moment in time they really have to look at themselves and i do believe that it should be required that during that investigation they go talk to somebody and let it out how they're feeling you know, if they're sleeping well, if they're, you know, reliving the incident in their mind, if they're, you know, what whatever they are thinking, I think it would be positive for that person opposed to just putting them on an island and leaving them. Right. Well, you think, uh, you think meeting with a site, not, no, I don't say psychiatrist because, I'm not a big fan of uh, prescriptions, but a psychologist. Psychologist, you're gonna yeah, have to. No, have... I don't. I don't. I don't mean medication. I don't mean that at all. I do. Believe no, that's what I meant. Was a third party just to express. I woke up this morning in sweats. I did this. I did that, and then just getting it out so they're not having to try and pretend everything is normal at home without venting. But a third party right. is there for venting and maybe give you good advice on how to handle that situation. And hopefully they are a trained, certified therapist or even as I don't, I, like I said, psychologist, but that really doesn't, that, that wasn't medication that I was going at. It was just, just somebody that's there that's trained for you to go vent to and you should meet with them the whole time you're off not daily necessarily right. but you should definitely go out of your home environment and just speak to them you should still have some obligation or i believe the city should have still or should have some obligation to make sure that your mind isn't fucked right that right. makes sense Right. Well, and that's what I'm thinking, you know, I mean, if these agencies put in place and and secured a, a, a legitimate psychologist that can that is aware of uh, the police career and, and, you know, the exposure that we're exposed to, the incidents that we're exposed to and uh, secure them for situations like this. And, you know, and the officer or the detective doesn't have to worry about paying them. The agency pays for it, but they visit them. I would think in the beginning, they got to, they should visit them on a weekly basis. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's adjusted from there based off the psychologist's uh, review. No, I totally agree. It's just, um, it's, 
basic when you think about it, what it comes down to, these are young kids that are walking into situations where you're seeing things that no human being should see. Same as the military. Absolutely. You shouldn't that people shouldn't treat people that way, but you get cynical about it. And all of a sudden you try to accept it as life and it doesn't necessarily um, or I should say not everybody is able to adapt to that state of mind. Doesn't make them bad officers at all. They're bright individuals, but they still need a, a way to escape and have somebody there periodically to go talk to is nothing to shame them about. No, you're right. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, I think it's key to develop um, a really good relationship with somebody within the same career and uh, that you can trust, that you can be able to reach out to and and discuss these influences with and uh, kind of get it off your chest and so that you can, uh, you know, vent about it or whatnot and move forward. I think that's important. I also, but it, that's I also, that's the key part, though, is finding finding that person that you can trust and and be able to openly talk to, right? I also believe that. Well, yeah, you're correct on that, but I also believe it has to be taught when you're going through training that it's okay to be fragile for a moment. I mean, you see things that you know, dead children babies in your arms you see these things and you uh, one incident i handed a child i took him out of his house had handed him to the fire department while standing on the sidewalk he was choking to death and i couldn't do anything for him Mm. and you really have to be able to have the support of your senior staff and knowing that's gonna that's gonna mind fuck people with kids. Yeah, you're not gonna yeah, want to have your kids eat granola. And he was choking on a piece of granola. You're not gonna, How old? He was four. Hmm. And I mean, there was a couple other. In, yeah, they were like in succession, unfortunately, um, and that didn't help. I mean, these were all after my shooting, so. These are life-altering things that just messed with me, which maybe it would have helped. I'm not sure because I didn't do it, but I do believe it would help. The uh, psychologist once a week? Or, yeah, just there. Not necessarily once a week, but if you're involved in a critical incident or something you deem critical should be um, allowed to go do and not feel shame in doing it. So we have to handle it. That's not the case. We're still human. Right. So, and, and, and that's what it is. It's, it's a, an ego thing, and that's not the case. You're still dealing with human beings you don't know. And their lives are ruined while you're there. But then you leave and go home and deal with life. And sometimes it's fine. Most times it's fine. But a lot of times it affects you. Yeah. And and different different situations, different incidences. I mean, there's not, they're never all the same. No, absolutely Um, not. You know, yeah, and and obviously, you know, kids are always going to be the, you know, children and babies are always going to be the really, really challenging ones. Um, But there's also these instances that, you know, particular people have a a challenging time with. I know with you, um, you know, hopefully it's all right to say, but I know for you, anytime you ended up with a, a suicide by hanging, 
I mean, that fucked you up. You would call me. Oh, fuck. And be like, dude, I've got to, I've got to chat with you. You know what I mean? And I'm glad that I was able I'm glad to be there for you, you know, but I mean, that's just one incident. That's one type of a case that anytime you drew that, that card, um, you know, it was always a challenge for you. There were several ways I saw people commit suicide and hanging was always the worst. I don't know why I've seen yeah. guys blow their head off. I've seen it all. And right. I don't know why that stuck with me. I obviously haven't talked to anybody about it, but now you have still <laughs> well, good for you, man. <laughs> but it always not good for me, but I mean, I, the point is I'm not put, trying to put you on the spot, Dan, but my point is, yeah. is that, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lot of different things that kind of are triggers for different people. Like something might bother you that doesn't bother me and vice versa. And it's something that, you know, like where you're going, it's something that we have to uh, deal with through throughout our career and, and deal with on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, yearly. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, it is what it is. It's daily. I mean, and right. It's not necessarily daily in smaller towns. I mean, in the in the city we work for, it's daily that you go on calls that you can't even fathom what the hell just fucking happened. And you're sitting there looking at this and trying to clean up this mess. And when you take all that home, and it's not just one incident a day, it could be two or three, unless it's a huge incident, then obviously it's only one. But you could go from taking somebody to prison or to jail, and all of a sudden you're back in another one. You do appreciate, and I'm going to say this for a fact, the people that are that in that environment, they're trying hard to be better people. You learn to, you meet them and they are so appreciative of everything we do or we did. And just because they're in that environment doesn't mean they are what we deal with or what we dealt with every day. There are right. great people out there that don't necessarily um, conform to society, but they are still great people and are willing to live within the boundaries. Yeah. Well, enough of uh, yeah. Let's get on with that, huh? please. Why don't you? Uh, <laughs> good job. Listen, dude. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate you um, opening up and and discussing. Um, you know, some of these experiences that you've had, I think it's, again, I think it's important. Um, and as always, I'm always there for you, you know that. So, but let's talk about, uh, share with me a, a good, funny story. I mean, obviously going through police work, we're exposed to a myriad of different types of situations and some of them are just downright hilarious. What, uh, what do you got? Oh man, it's several, but uh, I'll uh, pick the best one. I'll give you one that uh, kicked my ass, or I thought I wasn't going to be able to. So I was, we were on a a hostage thing, and the gentleman took his sister to the his pregnant sister to the uh, clinic to get what do they give you for heroin I can't remember it begins with an M methadone methadone clinic yeah and um, he had held them hostage all night but we pulled him over and um, he stopped he was at first and I was approaching him I was so everybody is on gun but I was going to handcuff him and there was an, uh, a senior officer there that uh, was right next to me. And right when I reached out to grab his hands, he looked back at me and said, fuck this, and took off running. Well, I saw another officer of ours, uh, a friend of mine, I believe, that was 
in MMA and you know mm-hmm. he was down the street he was blocking the intersection and I was chasing him and I said you better run bitch or I'm gonna kick your ass well the senior officer laughed so hard he stopped chasing and I'm running after him and I couldn't keep up with him but all I heard was a loud bang get to the house where he was caught by the uh officer that was very well um trained in in fighting mm-hmm. and the garage doors completely bent in and he's handcuffed by the time i get there because i'm not that fast but uh we're walking out and then the owner of the home comes out and and the officer that chased him down and actually tackled him and looked at the officer or the owner of the home and said have a nice morning, sir. And I died. I was laughing so hard. Oh, no. His garage doors completely crashed in from where he just slammed him in the garage door, handcuffed mm-hmm. him by himself before I could get there and help. And this was a big guy. I mean, he was a huge dude. I mean, if I would have caught him by myself, I probably would have got my ass kicked. But, yeah, he took him down, slammed him in the garage, broke the guy's garage, and the gentleman comes out and said, <laughs> and just was looking. He didn't say a word. Good morning. Right. That's it. Have a great morning. That's all he said. And we're walking out. And this was right when I'm coming on shift. So I was tired as hell. And oh my gosh, I couldn't even walk out of the driveway. I was laughing so hard. I mean, it was pretty <laughs> funny how that was handled. And mind you, the guy that tackled him was on graveyards. So he'd been up all night. So. Oh, wow. Uh, that is pretty good. I tell you, dude, there was uh, this one. I don't know if I ever told you this one. It was pretty funny, but uh, I was working up in Park City, the police department up there. And uh, this guy, he's in this like, I don't know, like a Toyota pickup, right? Like, but the old school ones, like the old Datsuns or the old Ford Rangers, right? Yeah. And he blows through this stop sign onto Deer Valley Drive and uh, so I get behind him I'm following him I've got a his driving pattern is just horrible he's just all over the road so clearly my first uh, thought is the guy's DUI so I light him up turn the headlight or the overhead lights on and he makes a right hand turn off of Deer Valley Drive heading uphill and I'm like, this is not going to be good. And so I turn in behind him. He's still going up the hill and he stops probably about, oh, I would say 40, 50 feet up the hill. So it's a pretty good incline. I stopped behind him. I was probably about two cars behind him and I stopped when he stops. And uh, as I step out of my patrol car, uh, this guy's trying to get out of his truck and I'm, you know, yelling at him, stay in your vehicle, stay in your vehicle. He's just ignoring me, climbing out of his truck. And this guy, he no sooner has both feet on the asphalt and he falls down and literally rolls to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty epic. I know you didn't tell me that. Oh yeah. So I literally was just like, okay, this is perfect. One, obviously the, the only uh, the only field sobriety I could conduct would be, you know, probably like a nice stagmas, but, uh, uh you couldn't do yeah, that. he rolled, he literally rolled, he literally rolled all the way down to me, man, like two car lengths. That's, that's helped him up, cuffed him right up, there. I mean... <laughs> cuffed him up. And he's just like, what am I under arrest for? And I'm thinking, I'm like, uh, DUI. I mean, I, at that point I can smell the odor of alcohol just coming off of him and, you know, and obviously he can't even stand up. So I put him in the back of the car and or my Jeep Cherokee and go up and check this vehicle. And there's like a half gallon of vodka where there's probably just about a quarter of it left. But man, that guy was toasted. He just, that was the best. <laughs> he, he just literally rolled down the freaking hill to me. That's the worst. You haven't told me. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about yeah, the girl that I fun. pulled over that offered me her young sister? <laughs> You can have my sister if you don't arrest me. 
I'm like, are you fucking serious right now? Yes, I'm serious. <laughs> no. That's never going to happen. So, yeah, we went to jail that night. <laughs> I Yeah, I had one of those, too, man. I had one of those that kind of solicited some sex. I was, What's that, that was way, I think I. Yeah, that's the only one that ever happened to me. Yeah, I only had a, I think it only happened to me one time too. And it was, it was early. I think I was like only 21, 22. Well, I was probably about 22, 23 years old. I was like, holy shit. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you not understand what kind of a crime you just committed? <laughs> exactly, right? It's like, uh, you just crashed into a pole. I'm not, <laughs> it's never going to happen. It didn't matter yeah, if I dude, told I you saw... over on your own driving skills. That's not going to happen. What are they? Yeah. I just kind of wonder what people think when they, you know, when they get pulled over or what rumors they hear work. Right. You know what I mean? They think, oh, well, if we mm-hmm. talk about this or if I pull my temple ID out or. It's like, Come yeah. on, man. You're a human. To act like yeah. Yeah, 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 I totally get it, man. I, I'll tell you that one that that one that I had, it, it it completely floored me. Like I was writing her ticket, and well, I'd already wrote the ticket out, went back to give it to her, and she was just like, "You're really gonna give me a ticket?" And I just kind of chuckled. I'm like, "Well, yeah. Why would I not write you a ticket?" But I wrote the three people before you a ticket because I had these cars stacked up, like they were just stacked up behind each other's in a neighborhood, and uh, she's like, "Well." My lunch hour is at 12.30. What if I just give you a quickie in this park over here? We'll meet here at 12.30. (laughs) I swear to God. You know what's unfortunate is there are officers out there that took that. You know, there are. And that's unfortunate. That gives a bad name to police. But it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. You got pulled over. Yeah. Take your ticket and move on in life. I mean, it's not anything other than what you just did there was a reason you got stopped there was a reason you crashed into a pole there's a reason that you know you made a bad choice deal with it right yeah yeah, 10-4 absolutely well right on man um i guess in closing dude is uh you have anything else uh how about uh yeah, what what is one recommendation that you would offer to a new officer that's uh, considering getting into this career or that's maybe in for about a month or a year? What is one recommendation you have for them to be a, get through? Be aware of who is guiding you. Be aware of what truly you go home at night and and dream about that you can't let go. Because there are several things, I mean, you deal with, you know, in West Valley, we dealt with 12 things a day, at least. I mean, 23 line, or twenty-three incidents on my line sheet weren't uncommon. But that one that you go home about and, and you think you let go, but you dream about it, just talk to somebody. Go talk to a professional. Just voice it. Not to your family, because your wife's not going to understand. Nobody else is going to understand. You see things that people shouldn't see, but you it's a necessary job, and it's huge in the community that police are there, obviously. I mean, that's the most obvious statement ever. But just make sure you take care of yourself, and rely on your brothers in blue that are reliable, opposed to the ones that are self-serving and thinking that everything they do is Bible when it's not. Because anybody will throw you under the bus the first chance they get to better themselves. So just be aware of your surroundings I mean, I, I think that's the most basic way to say it. Just be aware of your surroundings and know who is capable and who isn't. But Very well. Very well said. Let me say this, though. I still think it is 
<clears throat> a profession that is admirable. I loved my job, even though it messed me up. And I wasn't prepared. And I'll make that statement clear. I didn't expect no. to see what I saw. And that's fine. I think there has to be better preparation for people going through the academy and knowing what they're going to see. It's not a matter of them passing out a bag of weed and letting you know what weed smells like. It's not a matter of seeing a picture on a screen and thinking that you know what a homicide seems like. There has to be real-life stories involved in that to where these cadets go home thinking, do I want to see that? This is the biggest thing I can say is this job is not a novelty. It's not, I got a badge now, I am a big man. No, that's not where it begins. This job is a responsibility and you are responsible for way more than your own family, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, very true, and very true. The novelty wears off the second you put a gun in your pocket or in your holster and you're out there and you pull somebody over. I want those new recruits to remember, you pull that person over, you could ruin their whole day and their whole life just for from a speeding ticket just from anything that affects them day to day just remember that and it has to be done it has to be done but i want you to i want them to think oh fuck is this necessary were they on the phone were they being completely negligent were they you know i mean those are the reasons we enforce the law we don't enforce the law because Somebody goes 11 miles over the speed limit. No, we pull them over and warn them and let them go. But when they're being completely negative, you know, just swerving, going through traffic, crossing lanes, that's when it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, and traffic, that's another whole podcast there, man. We could talk for two hours on traffic stops, right? So all right, right man. Now, well, my, my traffic rule personally was I'll pull him over at eleven. I wouldn't write until fifteen, unless it was a school yeah. zone or a neighborhood. Right, right. And I think people do get as much of a lesson from eleven over and a warning than as they do a ticket at eleven over. 15 over, right. you deserve a ticket. What the fuck were you thinking? Right, you're, right. You're, I just recently paid a traffic ticket for going 15 plus over, and I didn't even argue. Or, and no, I did it. Oh, right. So it, it's a matter of what you're willing to think that people can learn from. And again, it is, and they also have to think it's again. And individual stops. You're going to get a read on this person the second you walk up to their window. And make sure you be safe. Put your finger on the trunk so they have the fingerprint. All yeah. the things that come with traffic stops. Don't yeah. don't get yeah. complacent. <laughs> All right, dude. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on, bro. Well, I really appreciate it. And like I said, I can't give you... Uh, enough credit and kudos for coming up with this idea and and doing this podcast. I I think it's a really good thing and I think it'll be uh, good for society. I think it'll be good for our officers, current and former. Um, So I appreciate that so much. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, As far as, yeah. Yeah, you bet, dude. Of course, I got to have you on, man. Please. (laughs) All right, man. Sounds good. Well, as far as for 1088 Nation, man, keep on keeping on. Thank you for listening and stay safe. And remember to be kind to everyone, right, Dan? Absolutely right. No, no <laughs> preconceived notions on people. They are individuals, and you just approach them as that way, and you will never, ever 
do wrong by anybody. And that's the biggest thing you can do as a police officer is just treat people as who they are and not go in um, of thinking that you know what's going on because you don't. If yeah, that true that. If that makes Our, sense. Yeah, abs- no, it does. Absolutely. Right on. Well, until next week, uh, please share, repost, retweet. Let's uh, recognize and respect our lawmen and our lawwomen. Take care, everybody. Love you all. Maxwell.com. Goodbye.